Well, it's good to see everyone tonight. Thank you for coming out and joining us. Um, isn't it great to be able to come midweek and have a time of singing, too, um, before we have a time of Bible study? Um, what a great thing that is to be able to fellowship together, to sing uh, our praises to God uh, and to each other as we remind ourselves, as we just sang, how great is our God. Uh, it's, it's such a great thing to be able to come together and do that uh, in the middle of the week. First uh, John is where we are in your Bibles, near the back, almost to the end. We are in chapter 2 of First John. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the front of the pew there. Last week, we uh, began looking at how John reminded the Christians um, he was writing to to prove that we're in the last hour. Okay, Again, not a 60-minute hour. Okay, This is a figure of speech. The point is that... Uh, as the last hour of the day comes to a close and a new day begins, so this world is coming to an end, okay? and eternity is upon us. That's the point here. Not that it's a 60-minute hour. Be ready for the return of the Savior. Be ready. Be alert. Uh, there's a sense of urgency, as we talked about last week, to remain faithful to what is true and not be fooled by lies. And John also reminded them of the reality of the Antichrist, the man of lawlessness, or the son of destruction, also as we see him referred to in Scripture, who this one who is to come, and of whom they had already been taught. It wasn't new to them. It, they, he indicated they had already been taught this. Um, but more than that, they and we, of course, need to understand that even before that time period, um, that time period whenever the Antichrist comes, even before that, those who are allied with the Antichrist are already in the world and doing his bidding. Okay, he wanted them to be aware of this. And he said, he said, many Antichrists have already come. They're already in the world. Okay? And he said also, he tied that into proof that we're in the last hour, uh, that these Antichrists had already come. Who are they? Okay, they are the adversaries of Christ, as we talked about last week. Those, anyone who is against Christ or opposes uh, him and tries to replace him, uh, this person undermines the work of Christ, the kingdom of Christ, and the plans and purposes of Christ, all while claiming to be of Christ. Okay? They, they are deceivers, as their father, the devil, is a deceiver. Again, John is not really writing about here about the Antichrist, though that is true. Uh, that's not his point here that of, of the Antichrist, that he's not come yet. But the point was that those who are associated with him uh, in his world system, they're already here. Okay, those who are opposed to Christ and his kingdom right now, not just in some future time and event. Okay, he wanted them to know it's, it's right now. John said these antichrists had been in the congregation with them, but had, they had left. Some of them had, had left, making it clear that not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. He wanted them to be, be clear on that fact. He said they would have, if they had been Christians, they would have remained with them. They wouldn't have left, uh, but they did so. They left, and the scripture says that made it plain that they were not of us. That's evidence they were not of us, not Christians who lost their salvation, 
That's unbiblical. Christians don't lose their salvation. John makes the biblical distinction clear that we are to conclude it is that they were never Christians in the first place. Okay? They were not of us. And he reassured them then that true Christians have been anointed by the Holy One, Jesus Christ. Okay? And that anointing is a, a figurative reference to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in every believer. Jesus himself anointed them with the Spirit. This is what Jesus meant when he told the disciples in John 14, 15 through 17. He said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And John's concern is that the church would continue in the knowledge given them by the grace of God at salvation and in the gift of the indwelling spirit in the face of the deception of the antichrists that are in the world already and that had been trying to deceive them. Okay, we're, we were out of time last week, but John's writing on the subject, there, the subject of the antichrist and these lies it didn't end there. We, we had to end there because of time. Um, so tonight, we'll continue on with this topic as John continues to warn of deception and direct the church back to what they know to be the truth. Okay, so let's start by reading our text for tonight. Actually, I'm going to go back and read, starting in verse 18 of chapter 2 in 1 John. Uh, we covered last week 18 through 20. Tonight, we'll be looking at 21 through 27. And, but I want to, for context, go back and just read that whole section there. So 1 John chapter 2, verse, verses 18 through 27. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us, eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. But the anointing that you received from Him abides in you. And you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Okay, let's open with a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the reading of your word. And Lord, we ask tonight that as we discuss the topic of the Holy Spirit that indwells believers, we ask, Father, that your spirit tonight would continue to teach us through your word as we read it, as we discuss it, Lord, that 
that your spirit would illuminate our hearts and minds and bring, bring knowledge to us. That which is truth, Lord, because your word is truth. Uh, Lord, I pray you would encourage us tonight through your word, that you would strengthen us, that we would be living our lives, Father, as if it is the last hour, because it is. We don't know how long that will last, how long you will uh, delay your return, Father, but we know that our Savior is coming, and we are so grateful and, and so looking forward to it. We praise you in his name. Amen. Okay. So I always like it when uh, a biblical writer tells the reader exactly why he's writing to them. Right? That, that sure helps to eliminate speculation about the intent of the text, doesn't it? Uh, and here, John even goes so far as to say not only what he's writing why he's writing, but why he's not writing, okay? He says, and look at verse 21 with me there in chapter 2. He says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. You see, he had, he had finished the last verse, the, the previous verse, by talking about the anointing um, of the Holy Spirit, okay? And that it was that anointing that reality that was the source of knowledge. Okay, he said, you have knowledge because of the Holy Spirit. Uh, so that was back in 1 John 2, 20. He said, but you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. In other words, you know the gospel of Jesus Christ unto salvation, and everything that goes along with that. It's not that we know everything in the world there is to know, or that we know every aspect of the scriptures, but in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ and salvation, they had come to faith in Christ. They had come to salvation in Christ through the knowledge given by the Holy Spirit and everything that goes along with that, okay? What it is and what it isn't, what salvation is and what salvation isn't. So now in verse 21, he says, he's not writing because they don't know the truth. So, so though he may be, might be repeating some things, it's not because they don't know it, but because they do know it. He's emphasizing, you know this, right? It's a reminder, Okay, um, so he's writing because they do know. Then he says, and no lie is of the truth. Okay, this keeps focusing on the truth. This whole, this whole section here is about the truth, the truth about Jesus Christ, the truth about salvation uh, in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, and it's kind of, uh, when he says there, and no lie is of the truth, it's kind of a strange thing to say. What, what John's getting after is that the truth is just that. It's the truth. It does not have any lie or part of a lie attached to it in any way. The Word of God is true, period. Okay? So have you ever heard people say, say this, two things can be true at once? Have you heard people say that before? Yeah, I've, I've heard people say that. You know, some, some people might mean different things by that, I don't know, and, but it's true that, that two things can be true at once. You know, one person says, the heat from the sun melts butter. Another person says, the heat from the sun hardens clay. Are both of those true? Yeah, they're, they're both true. That same sun does that. It has that effect on those two elements. Um, it is not that one is right and the other one is wrong. Both statements are true. Okay, but John's point here is that something cannot be true and at the same time be false. In particular, the the path to salvation is laid out and set by God, and that is all there is to it. 
Okay? What God says about it is completely true. And it's not false. In this thing, in this case, in terms of salvation, two things cannot be true at once. Okay? Salvation cannot be exclusively through faith in Jesus Christ and at the same time be accomplished through good deeds. It's, it doesn't go that way. It doesn't work that way. The world system, which we're, according to our last study, we're not supposed to, or was it the one before that? It was the one before that, two weeks ago. This, the world system that we're not supposed to love, remember? We're not supposed to love the world or the things in the world. Um, that system would tell us that there are many paths to God. Okay, that's a pretty common belief. A person can take this path or that path as long as they have a loving heart, it gets them to God. Okay? This is a very popular teaching in a lot of different areas. Um, I think I mentioned Oprah last week. I don't know, but she, she teaches that kind of thing. Uh, many, many people do. And it sounds great, right? It, it sounds inclusive and, and uh, you know, kind to say that to people. Um, and so it's a very popular teaching that many, many ways to God. But what does the truth tell us? One way. Jesus made a truth claim about himself and salvation, didn't he? In John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Right? Okay, that's a, a truth claim. It's an exclusive claim. It doesn't leave room for something else to also be true. Right? That's either true or false, but it can't be both. If it's true, it makes all other claims about salvation and pathways to get there lies, right? What Jesus said, if that is true, then everything else, anything else that someone says is a lie. Okay, whether, whether they have malicious intent or not, it's a lie. Um, it's also true that Jesus' statement cannot be true for one person and false for another, okay? It goes to our postmodern culture that, well, whatever's true for you is great, you know, that's not my truth. My truth is this. Well, okay, that's nothing. Okay? It's not a thing, but if you talk to people these days, you'd think it was a thing. Um, people may believe other things are true, but John is making it clear that um, they're automatically lying because they're not believing what the Scripture says. Okay? By the fact that they hold that opposite point of view, they're lying. Christians are told here by John that they have the truth, okay, or, or they know the truth because God has revealed it to them through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You ever wonder why some people just don't have a clue how the world works and, and why men are evil? It seems like they don't have a clue. Uh, you ever wonder why people think Christians behaving like Christians, and, and I mean in the true good sense, Christians behaving like Christians, they think it's foolish. Why is that? Why is it that way? They don't understand, right? They, it's why. They, they're, they're dead. They're dead in sin. They're dead in their trespasses and sin, spiritually dead. They need to be born again to be able to understand the truth. Okay? Um, I want to sort of drive this point home with another scripture reference for you to ponder. If you start turning to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul wrote about a wisdom that is not of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. We kind of saw that a couple weeks ago in our First John passage as well with the world and the things of the world. They're passing away. And, and Paul said, 
what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Okay, and then let's look at this passage, uh, what he says about that wisdom and how it relates to our passage for tonight. 1 Corinthians 2, um, I better turn there, chapter 10, uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 2, verse 10. And I will get there here shortly. There we go. Okay, starting in verse 10, we'll go through verse 14. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. We see here that this spiritual knowledge is not possessed by men, it's not invented by men, uh, it's not known by men or can't be conjured up by men without the intervention of God. Without the spiritually dead person being born again and made spiritually alive, then the Spirit of God teaches the truth to those who have become spiritual. Okay, through being born again, you you're now spiritually alive. You become spiritual in that sense. It's not, I'm not talking about a mystical, kind of weird spiritual thing. Um, but this is how we are taught the Word of God, the, by the indwelling Holy Spirit. We didn't receive the Spirit of the world, that passage said. We already had that, right? When we're, before we become believers, we already are in the world. We already are of the world. We already have that Spirit. Okay, that is done away with when we become Christians. We receive the Spirit of God, and that pastor said, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. So according to the Scriptures then, how does a Christian become, or how does a Christian come to any knowledge about God for salvation? Through His Spirit, right? Yeah, through the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is John's point in our passage, and he emphasizes it if we skip down for a minute, down to verse 27 in our, in our 1 John chapter 2 passage, skip down to verse 27, um, which says, but the anointing that you received from him abides in you, okay? and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. Okay, this, of course, is not saying that we don't need preachers or teachers of Scripture in the church. And that's, uh, that's not what John is saying. That would contradict the rest of Scripture, right? It would contradict uh, the fact that God has given the church pastors and teachers uh, to, to teach the Word of God. So we have to understand what he's, what he's really saying here. He's making the point that we do not need man's ideas, man's thoughts, or man's philosophies about life and death and how to enter the kingdom of God. Uh, because he's written it down in his book, and the Holy Spirit teaches us that. It, he makes clear the Word of God uh, with the 
the idea of warnings against the lies of the world, the Apostle Paul said in Colossians 2.8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. And how easy is it to get caught up in or taken captive by philosophy, philosophical discussions or musings? Can't it sound really plausible? It's, it can be very deceptive. And don't let it take you. You have the truth abiding in you. And that's what John is talking about here. He reiterates that. The, the Spirit teaches us everything and that what He teaches is true. That is, no lie. And that it abides or remains in an ongoing sense in the Christian. Okay, when we read the book, when we hear the book read or have the book expounded to us by God's providence through the ministers of the Word, His own Spirit teaches us. He illuminates the Word in our hearts and our minds. We know what lies are because they contradict the words of God in the Bible. And there's nothing lied about more than the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Right? Again, this is the Antichrist and all of the Antichrists who are already in the world. They oppose Christ. They lie about Christ. And look down at verse 22 in our passage. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. We must know who the liars are. Just like no lie is of the truth, no liar about Christ is a Christian. What are some different ways that people deny the Father and the Son? Is it only by saying, I deny the Father and the Son? What are some ways that people deny Did you say wonton? <laughs> okay. I thought you were joking. <laughs> Living a wanton lifestyle, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> what other ways do people deny the Father and the Son? Oh, okay. The belief that Satan or that Jesus is Satan's brother. Yeah. Okay. Ross, you were gonna say something? Right. Right. Yeah, they would, they would agree that he's the son of God, but they mean something different by that, don't they? Right. That's right. That's right. That's a denial. What else? Okay, yeah, so it goes to, it goes to worship, you know, the way that people use their money, 
um, what, what sort of idols may be in their life, okay? Replacing God with those things. Yeah, so also by saying that Christ is not the only way, you deny Christ. And by saying you have to add good deeds to Jesus' work, you deny Christ. Um, this was brought up in regard to wontons. Uh, by not obeying all that he's commanded you, right? <laughs> yeah, you're not going to hear the end of that one, Susan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> by not loving the brothers, you deny Christ. Okay, we've, we've been looking at that too. By not repenting of sin, you deny Christ, etc. And you see, all those things can be done, if you think about it, while still claiming to have Christ. It's interesting. All those things can be done while still claiming to have Christ. Let me look at those things again. Christ is the way, but not the only way. Okay, so they would claim Christ, but, well, but it's not the only way. I'm saved through the work of Christ and my good deeds. Okay? Um, I obey Christ's commands yeah, but unless I don't agree with them. Like, like, I don't agree with that one over there. Okay? But I do obey some of them. It's a denial. I love the brethren except for that guy. He, he doesn't deserve my love. Okay? I don't have to repent. Christ loves me just the way I am. All of those claim Christ in some way, yet deny. Right? Because they're, they're denying the truth. They're not agreeing with God about what he said. And this is how the devil works. Now, he makes people believe that they're saved because they claim Christ. And isn't that what the Bible says, to, to profess faith in Christ? But as we've seen, people do not have to utter the words, I deny Christ, or I deny the Father, to actually be denying them. This is a trap of the world system. Okay, to make people believe they're Christians when they're actually deniers. That is probably one of the most successful plans that Satan has uh, against human beings, is to have them believe that they are Christians, um, but they're really deniers. It's a diabolical plan. It's a perfect sleight of hand or misdirection, isn't it? It's, it's a very powerful thing. And John says this, is, this Antichrist is a liar who denies both the Father and the Son. And they're connect, those are connected for eternity, Father and the Son. They're, they're one, according to God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one, in John 10, 30. In John 14, 9 through 10, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? What a, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that say that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Okay. And many other places in Scripture we can look at to see Jesus' own claims of divinity, um, that he is himself God, okay, the second person of the, of the Trinity. And remember, John is also combating the lies of the Gnostics, who we talked about the first couple weeks. Um, who, those who claim, among other things, that Jesus was not God and that he did not come in the flesh. And these Christians have people in their midst making those claims and teaching those false things to them. Um, this is going on in and, in and around the church, and that's why John's writing. 
And he makes it crystal clear in the next verse, verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. You can't get clearer than that. What does it mean to confess the Son? It's not just about saying the name Jesus. Any, anybody can say that. So that's not what it's about. To confess the Son means that you believe all that God has said about His Son. All of it. So when a believer confesses Christ, it's everything about the gospel of Jesus Christ and who He is and how salvation comes about without veering to the left or to the right. We believe what God has said. That is what it means to confess Christ, not just saying his name. You cannot have, he's making it clear, you cannot have one without the other. You cannot say you believe God and then deny Christ as God or claim the Son but not the Father. You can claim it, but it's not the truth. So where does this denial leave the denier? Is that... Out in the cold, I, I know what you mean, but, <laughs> or out in the hot, yeah, down in the hot, right, <laughs> yeah, no, I, that's a, a saying, out in the cold, right, but it just, with this particular thing, doesn't quite fit with the temperature, but, <laughs> yeah, so it does, it leaves them dead in their trespasses and sins, right, to deny, to be a denier of Christ, that's where you're left, and John has been hitting this point all through the first two chapters, the difference between Truly being in the fellowship of believers or not. Uh, the distinction between uh, Christians and non-Christians. These are not Christians with a different point of view. There's no other point of view than what God says is true. So, another question. Can people genuinely have a different point of view? Sure, they can have it, right? Yeah, yeah. But it's a lie. It's not the truth. They can and do have all kinds of point of views. My point of view is that broccoli comes from chicken eggs, and I genuinely believe it. I believe it with all my heart. Can't that be my point of view? Yes. Doesn't make it true. I, I hold that view, but my sincerity in believing it does not make it true. It doesn't matter if any of us believes something is true or not. The question is, is it true? Right? I believe what God says is true. Not because I got it right or figured it out, but because the Spirit of God has taught me. The Spirit of God has taught believers that what God says is true. Okay? Jesus told us what truth is when he said about the Word of God, your word is truth. And we need to notice that John is saying hard things about those who are not Christians, who are who prove to not be Christians. But again, though his uh, warning, this is a warning to all, the true Christians take courage in this truth. This is not just doom and gloom that, and leaves the believers feeling down. This is an encouragement. And that's John's real goal here is to shepherd the church to remind them of the promises of God in Christ Jesus. Look at the next two verses uh, to, to see what I mean in verses 24 and 25. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Hey, John is calling for perseverance among the believers. 
There may be fear, confusion coming at them, persecution, etc. But whatever it is, remember what you heard from the beginning. From the time of your salvation, that's what he means right here, from, from the beginning. From the time of your salvation, remember. In other words, remember the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that comes with it. He said to let it abide in you. Again, that's an ongoing thing. Let it sink in and stay there. Let it come to the forefront of your mind every day. And, if, uh, and there's another truth that accompanies that as well. If you, if you persevere in this truth and this tr- truth is abiding in you, you can be assured, according to the word of God, that you are in the Son and the Father both. If the truth of the gospel does not abide in you, you have no such hope. Again, he knows they need endurance. Like the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 10, 35 and 36, Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And what is it that was promised? Eternal life, right? Look again at verse 25. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. As we end this study tonight, we see again that John very specifically tells the church why he's writing these things to them. And and it's so informative. In verse 26, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Why am I telling you all this, you ask? Because these Gnostics and other antichrists are trying to deceive you. They're telling you lies. And I want you to be reminded. I want you to be grounded we, we sang earlier about the, the steadfast anchor, right? He, that's what he wants for them, to be anchored in the truth. Don't believe those who want to deceive you. So from verse 26 in our passage, what is the timing of the deceivers? What's that? Okay, the last hour, which is now, right? That's the timing. This is, that's important. There's no warning here that they should look out for some deceiver in the future. Yes, that's true in regard to the Antichrist. But he's been talking to them about those that are already here. And it's now. That's the timing. And he says uh, in that verse, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. Okay? They're already here and active. And, of course, that's true of the church today as well. Now, we already looked at verse 27 earlier, but I want to look at it again briefly here in order to bring out another point uh, regarding the abiding of the Holy Spirit within believers. 1 John 2, 27, here our last verse. But the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. In regard to the assurance of salvation for the Christian, this is important to understand. We, we do not have to fear that we will lose or that God will take away his spirit from Christians. And we can look at another passage that John wrote in his gospel account. If you'll turn there real quick, John 14. And we looked at this earlier, but I just want to look at it again. John 14, starting in verse 15 through 20. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And I hope you can see there at least a couple of the truths in that passage that are connected with our study from tonight encompassed in those verses, like the fact that Jesus said he was in the Father and in us, and we are in him. We also saw that he will return, and he will not leave us as orphans. But I want to point out one promise in particular that gets to how long we have the Spirit of God within us as Christians. In, in two of those verses there, 16 and 17, he, Jesus himself said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of truth, dwells in Christians how long? Forever. Forever. That's amazing. Is that not an awesome truth? That's what, that's what John wanted here. He wanted his readers to dwell on that, okay? to have that abide in them, that truth, just as you and I can now as Christians. So don't be deceived away from this truth when the troubles of life come, when lies come about. Let the Word of God abide in you richly. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this night and for your Word. We thank you for these, the reminder here of this promise that John has talked about, that promise of eternal life. We thank you, Lord, as believers that you have given us a helper the Holy Spirit that indwells us, that teaches us the truth of your word. For without that, God, we would be lost. We would have no way of understanding your word because the things of your word are spiritually discerned. Because of the new birth through faith in Jesus Christ, you now teach us through your Holy Spirit what you have said, and it makes sense. We can follow it. We can believe it to be true because it is the truth. And we thank you that your spirit abides in us forever. We thank you for that assurance. You are an amazing God. We thank you for your grace and your mercy because we are in desperate need of it as sinful people. And thank you for our salvation that's found in Christ alone. In his name we pray, amen.